and Ken Wilson. Yeah. Come on up. So, uh, oh wow. Good to see everybody. Did, who started that clapping? That was Paul. I need to give him five dollars. Um, so I, I know I know many of you are like you plan your uh, New Year's Eve like well in advance. You know, like uh, you're going to the rooster tail in Detroit. Is there still a rooster tail? in Detroit? No. Or you're going to St. Andrews, you're going to Clutch Cargoes, you're, you know, you're going to that little cool jazz club, probably Steve and Joy are going to that cool jazz club on Livernois, you know, that nobody knows about except the really cool people. And, but, but the rest of us, we're like, it's, oh crap, it's, it's New Year's Eve and like I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be doing something like extra fun today, but I, what, what, what can I do? The mall's not open. What's, uh, Pinball Pete's or whatever, and I'm in that category. So, Julie and I, we're going to see the movie Jane, Jane Goodall. This is like uh, uh, Emily met Jane Goodall, and it's like a, was like in awe of Jane Goodall, who's the, the she's the woman who um, you know lived with the chimpanzees, uh, I think, and and made made connection with them, learned all sorts of things about chimpanzees that is not known and all that. So it's a movie at the Michigan Theater, naturally. Ann Arbor would be like the only place they'd show a movie like that. And uh, so we're going at 4.30 at the Michigan Theater. If anyone wants to come, you're welcome to, like, yeah, yeah Judy, you might enjoy that. But um, meet us there at 4.30, and we're, we'll probably go to Neapopolis, uh, which is on William and it's across from St. Mary's uh, Student Chapel, William and something uh, afterwards, assuming that's open, which it's got to be. So, And by the way, um, we have a little quiet reflection time after the service or after the sermon. And um, m uh, my recommendation is going to be that you write something down. So if you need a pen, here's some extra pens. Maybe, uh, maybe uh, Dr. Sanda would be so kind as to just raise your hand if you need a pen for that. And... Uh, and there we go. So I'm, now that the anticipation is at a fever pitch, um, I can say. Um, so my wife, Julia, as you know, uh, if you've been here a while, is, a, is an Episcopal priest. Um, and she's become a rector soon, which means like tenure at her, at her church. Rector means ruler, which she told me. Um, and when I, whenever I go to Julia's church for services, I'm often bewildered about one thing or another, you know, in the liturgy, even though I grew up Episcopalian, they changed it all, like the collect for the day, the collect for the day, and what the, what, what's up with that? It's like a prayer, but I thought it had to do with the offering, because it's spelled collect, but it's collect, and when I don't understand something, um, I feel stupid, and then... I feel resentful toward the setting in which I feel stupid, but I have this advantage of I have a debrief with a, an Episcopal priest. She was the head of the Liturgy and Worship Commission of the Episcopal Church for like six years or something. She's, this is like her thing, and I can debrief with her after, after church, so like it helps me engage. So I thought, well, heck, we probably have some of that going on here with our service. Um, so we're going to do a little series to begin the year called The Elements of Worship. And this will be kind of our debrief on the elements of what, what we do together on Sunday morning. Today, starting with the Sarum Prayer, one of the more obscurely named prayers. that we. So you might want to refer to that in your today's service. It's, it's up there after the, after the first song. The Sarum Prayer. The, the name of this prayer is probably the least significant thing about it. Um, it actually refers to an ancient um, worship rite from the 11th century 
and Sarum is the, the variation of the, of the name of the town from which it all comes. Salisbury, I think, was the town. But it goes like this. God be in my head and in my understanding. God be in my eyes and in my looking. God be in my mouth and in my speaking. God be in my heart and in my thinking. God be at my end and in my departing. So this little gem of a prayer goes back perhaps as early as the 8th century, so the 700s. And there, there is a value in really old, old uh, prayers, especially one like this that's pretty accessible to us just in terms of the language. Is this value in something that old? I, there's a new place on my walking right route on South U um, called the Beaver Trap, a new restaurant in town, in case you're interested, the Beaver Trap. Canadian cuisine uh, specializing in poutine, uh, which is French fries smothered in gravy and cheese curd. Uh, so, in other words, stuff that will kill you faster than the French fries themselves. So, like, like super lethal French fries. There's a sign outside that says, serving fries since 2009. And I'm like, that's a long time ago. If you're seven years old. Um, so, in the Sarum prayer, we're joining um, with words that were used and voices that go back well over a thousand years. It's a much deeper time connection for us. You know, life in that time wasn't that much different than 10,000 years earlier when we switched from hunter-gatherer to farming and settled in one place. Uh, infant mortality's like got a bit, had to have been 50%. Uh, the world population is less than 200 million at that time, so two-thirds of the U.S. population scattered around the whole world. Um, in the run-up to the first millennium, they were still working innovations like um, putting fire to use and finding new, um, new uses for the wheel and partnerships with domesticated animals to make your life easier. So the, like the rate of change back then was really slow. They weren't uh, leveraging the internet. They, they weren't dealing with plastic surgery or robotics or artificial intelligence. And, but they were in touch um, with their essential humanity. Like this, uh, humanity in the raw. Their basic humanity that we share with them. Um, of course, how we, how we express ourselves is very much constrained by our contemporary culture, right? So my parents didn't grow up with their parents saying, I love you every day or once a week or once a month or once a year or once a lifetime. And, you know, now parents are telling their kids, I love you, you know, every time they talk on the phone or text or whatever. And, and, but, you know, when you don't express something, it... it you don't feel it with the same kind of intensity either and it, it's, um, it's a con cultural constraint. Um, but our human hearts have got to be a lot bigger than our one contemporary culture, right? I mean, so there's got to be some advantage to accessing what were people able to express in a very different culture than our own because that came out of their human heart and, and that's probably something that we need to express as well but we just don't have the language so like scratching the middle of your back you can't get to it you need like another culture for some of these things 
in some of these old prayers like the theme of this prayer God be in my body and that's that's the overarching theme of this prayer right God be in my body um, we'd say you know God be in my spirit uh, meaning some what ethereal non-material maybe we have one maybe we don't it's kind of like a hallmark card part of our being it's we'd like to think we have a spirit but there's no real evidence we've got as God be in my spirit but this prayer is physical fleshy earthy um, body-centered God be in my head God be in my eyes God be in my mouth God be in my heart you know meaning the the thing that beats inside our chest so just like try that on for size um, God be in my body God be in specific locations in my body my head my eyes my mouth my heart God be there it's like well, what kind of God is this this is this is not like a standard issue God when when uh, standard issue you'd know that right like like from the army days you know okay sometimes I'm not sure how much stuff I know just because I'm an old person and, and now it's all gone from the cultural <laughs> things so I have to check every now and again um, when Genesis was written about um, 500 BC there was a common conception that God wouldn't directly create heaven and earth so in the modern world we have like a remote understanding of God like God kind of remote from us and in the ancient world this was that version of that remoteness and so because the physical matter was considered so profane God wouldn't like directly create by like having contact with it so there was this idea that God sent out um, manifestations of divinity in like more and more dilute um, expressions and these diluted expressions of divinity were called the demiurges and the demiurge that was furthest out from God like the most dilute in terms of divinity that's the demiurge that did the work of the dirty work of creating so like I say we have our own sense of the remoteness of God this was theirs but God be in my body, God be in my heart, God be in my head, God be in my eyes. I mean, the significance of the Christian doctrine of incarnation, God in human flesh appearing in Jesus of Nazareth, isn't, Jesus is just amazing, isn't he? That's like, that's not like the main point of the incarnation. You know, get your bobblehead Jesus today. Jesus is awesome. But the significance is much more than that. It's the God revealed in Jesus is at home in human flesh. That's the kind of God this is. God, God uh, feels okay about being connected to the human body. God in each body location in the prayer. And maybe we should change the way we do it in the, um, in, in the, in the typing up of it. So this is more clear. But God in each body location, head, eyes, um, mouth, heart, is there to focus um, or foster a particular distinct function or activity. So you're picking up that parallelism, God be in my head and in my understanding, God be in my eyes and in my looking. So what are these functions? God be in my head and in my understanding. So this is, this is good for us modern people where we think of our, you know, the highest function of our head 
power is our mental mastery where we you know through our mental mastery we can like dominate all sorts of different realms of life around us by our knowledge but the presence of the divine in our heads fosters understanding which is different than mastery so you could think of mental mastery as overstanding contrasted with this other thing understanding um, what's it like to be on the other end of understanding it's great <laughs> isn't it great to be understood like your mother is a doctor and her father was a doctor and she's always wanted you to be a doctor and you just kind of absorbed her desire and so you thought you wanted to be a doctor too because it was so fulfilling for your mother and you did great in college and you studied for the MCATs and you, you came from a wealthy family so you get the you know the, you get the four thousand dollar you know online training course to do even better in the MCATs and you did great in the MCATs and you you but in the middle of that, you realized, I think this is my mother's dream for me. This is actually not my dream. And so you decide to sit down with your mom when you're home for the holidays and tell her that you actually realize you're not that excited about being a doctor because, I don't know, you're jazzed about being a teacher maybe or you took a class on... on I don't know, writing computer code and you're in love with it. It's energizing you. And she realizes that what she really wants for you is what is fulfilling for you. And so she just opens her heart to you and she listens to what it is that you're interested in and what you care about and what you're passionate about and all that. And she asks questions and, and tries to really get to the bottom of it and understand it and what your hopes and dreams are and that's that's understanding that's like a form of mental love that we can give each other um, say your partner is unsettled or troubled and you suspect it might be like you know when our partners get unsettled or troubled with life or like oh it's it's probably me and you feel defensive and like oh I'm not there must be something they're dissatisfied with about me and and then they start thinking, well, wait, I have my own complaints uh, about my partner. And you're having all these conversations in your head before you've had any conversation. But then you, maybe you pray this prayer. And God be in my head and in my understanding. And then you decide, uh, maybe I'll give them the gift that I would like them to give me if the you know, shoe were on the other foot. And I'll just ask them, like, what's, what's going on? And I'll ask them in a completely non-defensive way. Like, you could even talk about things that you're, you know, challenged with being a partner to me and I, I'll, I'm going to work hard to understand it and hear it and you, you take a half hour or an hour to go through that process and, and then you sit with that for a while and you pray God be in my head and in my understanding and then you know maybe a, a perspective shift happens and, and it opens up possibilities that you didn't see before that's understanding and it's a divine thing and it's uh, the function of the divine in our head is to promote understanding not overstanding God be in my head and in my understanding God be in my eyes and in my looking um, you know you're sometimes you look at yourself in the mirror 
and you're like damn I look pretty good <laughs> and then and then other times you look at yourself in your mirror and you're like oh please what happened to that you know good-looking person I just saw the other day and you, you know it's not actually about some objective standard it's it's not just that your hair that day was good or that your complexion was just you know in like a good phase it's 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 the state of your eyes your looking eyes what's going on with your looking eyes um, we've got these lenses called eyes on the road to Emmaus uh, the what is it the evening of the first Easter two disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus and they're downcast Jesus saddles up right next to them but they don't recognize that it's actually risen Jesus and the text says by way of explanation how could it be that the risen Jesus would be walking a fellow traveler with them they don't recognize that it's Jesus the explanation I think is brilliant it says their eyes were held in the old English is their eyes were beholden their eyes were constrained they had perception blinders eye on like when you're in love with someone you you look at them uh, differently they look better it's not that they look better it's that you're looking better you know what I mean it's like you're looking through a lens of love instead of just an and a lens of anger or apathy you, you may have one of those small yappy dogs but if you love them the yapping is actually charming and it's not annoying and guests come over and they're like bleh, bleh, and you're like oh my little you know my little PepsiCo is just so charming you know who's to say you know what's the more objective way of looking at the person or your or your dog with love or with whatever else God be in my mind and my eyes is a prayer to see the divine version of reality not just our version unaided by the divine and the divine version of reality is it's got to be it's got to be fearless it's got to be just like more wonderful than our ordinary looking God be in my head and in my understanding. God be in my eyes and in my looking. God be in my mouth and in my speaking. So when I was preparing this, I was up in Holland, Michigan, visiting the Hutter, Hutter family. I call it Hutterland there in Holland, Michigan. And I was in the coffee shop um, preparing this. And I just stopped to listen. Um, and it was like a holiday crowd in the coffee shop. So there were more people, like twos and threes. And they were jabberwalking a lot of a lot of chatting a lot of talking and you know I don't know just the buzz of human conversation in a setting like that you know you got different voices different pitches different volumes different inflections uh, intimate conversation ordinary conversation vigorous conversation it's all just kind of swirling around the coffee shop there no I wasn't smoking weed I was just enjoying myself listening to the conversation and you know that every now and again like a word or phrase would kind of stand out and get a little snatch of the convert it was like listening to an orchestra tuning up before a concert and it's like there's a there's a thing to that if you you know get early to the concert you hear the orchestra tuning up it's like ooh, I kind of like that chaotic random sound thing going that it's like walking past a pond and you hear the frogs chorus you know or the crickets in the trees are wake up and the birds are waking the dawn with their you know 
chirping and um, only I'm in the coffee shop and it's like these this is my species this is human beings making this great sound fascinating marvelous sound it's like it's it's like what we do right that's it's what we do we we speak um, we speak to other people we speak to ourselves we speak to the universe we speak to our dogs we speak to our cats we speak to our computers um, we love with our speaking we hate with our speaking we transplant thoughts from brain to brain with our thinking pretty that's a pretty powerful tool that you could take a thought in your brain and transplant it into someone else's brain we vent we conspire we coordinate we puzzle with our speaking we solve problems with our speaking we create new problems <laughs> with our speaking we we create new realities with our speaking uh, we synchronize we threaten we entertain we annoy we amuse we infuriate we inspire we do a lot of stuff with our speaking God be in my mouth and in my speaking God be in my heart and in my thinking this is this is really the pre-modern like we would never say that right God be in my heart and in my feeling we would say and we wouldn't actually mean the beating heart we'd mean like the hallmark card maybe it's there maybe it's not there. heart the romantic heart but this is God be in my that thing that beats in my chest and in my thinking so this is the eighth century speaking to us now um, the pre-modern didn't locate thinking in the head but in the heart in the chest so think about that if you located your thinking in your heart you would just intuitively know that there's a thinking that happens at different paces right like your heart goes fast and your heart goes slow and you would know there's like fast thinking and there's slow thinking and that's you know of course that's a blockbuster neuroscience popular you know um, fast thinking thinking fast and slow fast thinking is survival reactive thinking and slow thinking is more like meaning making thinking where you just sort of observe what's around you and notice what you haven't noticed and put it together and make sense of it thinking may here mean something more like um, meditating so the Eastern Orthodox the whole Eastern wing of the church um, ha developed this pre-modern prayer for um, um, creating a meditative state and the prayer is the Jesus prayer Lord Jesus Christ Son of the Living God have mercy on me a sinner just curious how many people have actually tried the Jesus prayer like you tried it on for size I, I figured there'd be a lot of people trying the the Jesus prayer um, they call what the prayer can induce the Eastern Orthodox call it descending with the mind into the heart and they mean the chest descending with the mind into the heart they mean um, your thinking moves to a diff or your awareness or your consciousness moves to a different part of your body and in this different part of your body it's just it's not as busy you're not multitasking mentally it's uh, calm there there's some quiet there it's uh, God can show up get a word in ed edgewise in this kind of thinking um, life-altering thoughts can happen here um, perspective shifting thoughts occur new thoughts occur when you're thinking in your heart 
so it's, it's like um, it's like daydreaming um, but it's not a self-generated fantasy so much as a little portal into a more blessed reality than we normally access this is what they're getting at with this meditative thinking it might happen for you outside it might happen um, while you're sitting quietly in a deer stand waiting for Godot um, Pete was talking about he got one you know and and uh, how long it took and you know he's probably in a you know funkadelic uh, meditative state as he's waiting for all that to happen that's why he goes out deer hunting plus the deer but um, riding the bus you might have this um, it might happen while you're knitting it might happen while you're bowling um, God be in my head and in my understanding God be in my eyes and in my looking God be in my mouth and in my speaking God be in my heart and in my thinking God be at my end and in my departing God be at my end and in my departing so again think of this coming from the, coming to us from the 8th century um, in the 8th century after a year half of the infants are dead um, most of the adults who, who make it beyond childhood die in their 40s so um, so we're better at delaying death but the pre-moderns had to have been much better at facing death. And so we can learn this from them. Uh, they're teaching us with this prayer. They're like saying, it's okay. Uh, you can be happy, live a good life, and embrace your death as part of your life at the same time and be aware of its inevitable inevitability and you'll be okay you'll be just fine this can be done um, well how um, well this is think of your end as every much a part of you as your head is part of you or your eyes or your mouth or your heart um, you know, our death is part of our humanity. I mean, cells are dying all the time. Different parts of us are dying all the time. We, like Paul said, we carry death with us in our bodies all the time. Well, maybe we could become aware of that and we could uh, face that instead of just, you know, taking this other modernistic approach that we take to it. Um, and so God be in my head God be in my mouth God be in my eyes God be in my heart and at my end at my end I, I, I don't know what's going on there not in my you know it's in my end and at my departing no it's at my end and in my departing that's right God be at my end and in my departing I think of God being at my end kind of like God be at my birthday party, you know, or God be at my graduation, um, God be at my um, first time going to Costco getting my um, progressive lenses, <laughs> the, you know, graduation into real aging, um, God be at my end, be there, like come to my end party. This prayer, I think, is a little bit, I think of it like what the 
think about praying this kind of a prayer every day or once a week for like year after year what's it doing for us when we, when we do that it's kind of like the horse whisperer the, the movie the horse whisperer was based on a, a real guy named Buck um, Buck Branneman and Buck Branneman developed a different way of uh, taming a horse so the old way was breaking a horse you you'd get the horse in a very confined stall and you, you know you basically dominate the horse you'd like break it you know and then, I don't know they put stuff around it they tied it all up they get someone on it and he's bucking it and you know eventually the horse wear down boom it's just giving up like okay I'll carry you for heaven's sake if I have to it's like turning the horse into a slave rather than a partner but um, Buck what a name Buck you know Buck uh, Branneman grew up with a violent father, a very violent father. And he wanted no part of subduing any creature like that. And so he developed this other method, which must have been developed by other cultures as well. If you could see it on YouTube, it's really something to behold. He'd get like a really super wild horse and do this as a clinic and just put, the horse would be in this um, spacious corral and he would just go in there with a rope and he would just be walking around the corral, kind of ignoring the horse at first, like the horse is ignoring him. And I'm not that interested in you. And, and then, you know, he'd get a little bit closer. And it, oh, after 15 minutes of him just sensing what the horse where the horse is at and how the horse is responding the horse would be coming up and um, nuzzling him on his shoulder and like wanting to be friends with him and then he would you know just gently put a rope around the horse's head and then slowly just going around in the circle and before that much longer the horse would be coming up to him and saying sir it would be my pleasure uh, to be your Uber driver for the day and take you wherever you want to want to go, and this is he would call he call it starting a horse, not breaking the horse. And I I have the feeling that praying this prayer is kind of doing that for us with this modern people with this idea of living with the inevitability of our death or our loved one's death. Um, that this is something we could befriend. We, we couldn't, it's, we're not just in terror of it. We're not just trying to dominate it and keep it from happening and exercise mastery over death. I mean, that's great for delaying death in many cases, but it's not so good at embracing its inevitability. With, death always wins in this equation, we understand. So if we could befriend it, we'd be in so much a different place. And I think we can learn that process from um, praying this prayer. So, um, for our quiet reflection, what I suggest is um, a very simple practical thing, and that's taking the half sheet of your um, paper there, and if you have a pencil or a pen, just taking a few minutes and literally writing the prayer down. You know, just write the prayer down. You know, I found myself when I was praying, I've been praying this every week for three, you know, actually for quite a while now, and I, I wasn't, I never quite memorized it and got it down. And, and it helps to memorize it and have it down. So I just suggest you take some couple minutes now and just write the prayer down. God be in my head and in my understanding. God be in my eyes and in my looking. God be in my mouth and in my speaking, God be in my heart 
and in my thinking, God be at my end and my departing. Actually, my wife, uh, Julia, told me a really um, powerful story of um, her, her uh, late husband, Richard, uh, his death. Um, well, she had his dad, uh, and which um, she experienced his death as a departure. So um, he had, um, he had a progressive heart failure that couldn't be corrected by medication. The medication that was working stopped working for him. And so um, he knew he was going to die. He had, you know, he was, uh, they had like the hospital bed in the living room. If you've ever been at our house, that's, it's the living room, the front room by the, uh, by the street there. And had the, you know, the, um, like you get in hospice, the hospital bed that goes up and cranks up and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it's pretty clear that he was going to, probably die within the next day or so in the morning of um, he he says to Julia up up um, and that usually meant you know scoot him up in the thing because when you've got the head up you know you, you slide down and so she he's a big guy and uh, and she, you know put her arms around from the back and kind of scooted him up and he would go up up and I said, okay I'll get some more and, and he's up up and by this time, his shoulders are like over the top of the, of the head. And she realizes, oh, some, he wants something else here. <laughs> this isn't just physical up. And then she goes around him and says, it's okay, Richard. I'll be okay. You can go now. And he died. So that, it was a departure course two years you know two days later she's in the basement you know sobbing her eyes out saying oh, I'm not gonna be okay and no you can't go and what was I thinking and all that but you know um, those stories of people uh, departing like that that's God be at my end and in my departing we that's we make that part of our prayer could we have a death like that you know just pray every day for a death like that not so bad okay <laughs>